welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Scroll. So uh, you, you have a story, don't you? I, I do. Um, I, a funny thing, I was I was in Hong Kong uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was in a group of people. We were meeting for the first time, and each of us were telling a, a bit about our background. And I was actually talking about how I came to work with you at Tim Group, um, lo these many years ago, back in, in 2011. Oh my God, and now I is... feel old. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very relevant to the story <laughs> because uh, as I was telling the story, one of the amusing parts uh, I find anyway was um, when uh, uh, when I got in contact with you, we had a conversation uh, and you said that you had been advised by someone else that it would be helpful if um, you, know, you had a lot of smart young developers, but you, you need someone a bit more experience. You needed a gray beard. And uh, to my great delight, I had just been camping for two weeks and had grown a beard. Because <laughs> so, I phoned you to, to say, Jeffrey, yeah, we need right. you. And, and that was <laughs> one of the inspirations was this person telling me absolutely correctly, I could see why it'd be valuable, that I, that I needed someone with your characteristics. And I didn't know about your, your camping trip. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And so I got off the call. My wife asked, well, how did it go? And I told her, I can't shave. And this is just kind of a funny thing and, you know, that happened. And, but what happened here, and the reason I want to bring this up on the podcast is that up at the table, um, one of the women there said, well, Jeff, that's a great story. But I ask you, how does a woman become a graybeard in technology? And I thought that was really interesting. Now, I think there's there's two things about it that are interesting. One is kind of I think the, the obvious element here around the the gender nature of the language. And uh, you told me that you've started using a different phrase now instead of graybeard. Yeah. So I use two different things and we can talk about both of them. The first is when, when clients come to me and they often do this, they say, Squirrel, help us to hire a more experienced person to help us grow our team, to help us um, stabilize our processes and so on. It's been great working with you, but we'd, we'd like someone permanent uh, who can do that. And I say, great, what we're going to do is we're going to look for someone with battle scars. And the, the good thing about battle scars <laughs> is you could get them when you're very young. Uh, you could get them when you are female or um, uh, any other characteristic. It has nothing to do with your uh, your hair on your face um, or, or your gender so or your age. Um, and that's an important one because um, there are plenty of people who are just old and their, gray, their beards are gray or even white and, and they don't <laughs> have the characteristics that you need. Um, and right. so then the, the other one, uh, the other term, uh, it's really only just come up recently uh, in a couple of different places it, that I've used is um, we, we want to talk to the elders of the tribe. Uh, we, we want the, the, um, the, the wise people, and they're often called the wise old people, but I carefully didn't say that. Um, the, the wise people who really know, uh, for example, if, the, if all the elephants that we hunt uh, have moved somewhere else, we know that they've, they've moved to a different watering hole. And um, they might know that because it happened 30 years ago. We won't know that because we're the young hunters in the in the tribe. And um, th there is a bit of age there in that anthropological sense, uh, in that anthropological example. But um, uh, it, uh, when I'm talking about elders, I don't mean age. I do mean the people who know the history and the vital information that um, other folks won't have. That, um, and uh, I, I think that's something that, uh, uh, our listeners may want to look for and, and might want to have some criteria for. So we sh maybe we should talk about that. 
And I, and I thought this would be really interesting. Is, is and then I, it, my goal with this podcast in part is that we could kind of answer that question literally. How do you, rather than a, a, a graybeard, but rather say, how do you become someone who has battle scars? How do you become someone who's an elder of the tribe? Because I think there are things that people could do. And and as you say, it's it's not just about uh, getting older. You know, I think a lot of people have the experiences, but they don't learn from them. They don't they don't you know uh, coalesce their experience in a way that makes them uh, uh, qualify along these domains. So. Let, let's get into that. What we you know, if you're saying, what does it someone have? What are the characteristics that people have for being one of the elders? You know, what what are the kind of things that you're looking for? Absolutely. Well, I'll name some of mine. You might have some too, Jeffrey. Uh, and I'll use a funny example. I'm not going to use a technical example. I'm going to use one from my personal life. In fact, for my family, um, that uh, I have someone in my family uh, who I have consulted in this way. Uh, and uh, the person is uh, my aunt. That's two people, my aunt and my uncle. And um, uh, they they are able to uh, coherently um, share advice with me in a way that I can really use. And I think that's the first thing is, is it's not just good enough to have lived a long time, which they have. Um, but it, it's also very important that on demand, you can call on that experience. You can actually have a theory uh, that makes it fit together. So for example, I wanted some advice from them about a risk I might take. And I remembered that they had, uh, at the age of, I think, 22 or something straight out of university in the 1960s, uh, had um, uh, got off, uh, got onto a plane with two tiny children, um, you know, barely out of diapers. And uh, they had gone half, literally halfway around the world to, um, I don't know if it was Hong Kong, it might have been, but someplace like that. They'd gone to Asia uh, to study because um, my uncle studies um, uh, Chinese language and culture. And so he said, great, let's go to China. But with these tiny children in, in an era when you didn't have the internet, you know, uh, international telephone calls were kind of difficult. Um, uh, you were going to a country, my aunt certainly didn't speak Chinese. Um, and uh, it was, it was a, a major activity. It was a major change for them. And they could talk to me about risk in a way because they'd absorbed that. They had, they had thought about it. They had understood uh, what that risk meant to them, how they thought about it, what was good about it, what wasn't, and, and they could give me really helpful advice. There are other people who have led, led very risky lives and have done some crazy, you know, evil Knievel or somebody like that, um, uh, but, but I wouldn't necessarily consult them on, on their risk um, approach uh, because uh, uh, those people who have lived very risky lives have, have, did so without consideration, without forming a theory. So I think that's the, the first thing that's very important. You need both theory and practice. You need the experience and you need to have woven it together somehow. Yeah, and I, and I know we've talked before when we talked about how to accelerate learning, that having a combination of theory and practice is important. And I, and I think this is a good example of the long-term payoff, which is that if you've developed that kind of theory and, and practice over the combination of theory and practice over time and reflected on it, then that's one of the ways that you move towards you know, becoming one of the elders or having uh, uh, being able to play that role. And I'll mention that a really good way to kind of create that practice might be to have a blog or have other kinds of writing. My uncle has written two books, um, to have a journal. Those sorts of things kind of let you process the experience into nuggets, into pieces that are a bit more compressed that you could share many years down the line. Yeah, and, that, and that's a really good uh, example then, because I think what you, one thing here is it's not just enough to have had, even internally, the theory and practice, but the question is, um, how how have you put it together in a way that's coherent? 
you know, can someone tell a coherent story of their experiences? And I think you told me that that's one of the things that you look for in these more experienced candidates. Oh, absolutely. So a, a very standard interview question for me. I guess I'm giving it away now, but I'm not giving away what the interview question is. But the type of question that I'll ask of a senior person coming into a, a, any kind of executive role um, is, uh, uh, wh where's something in your experience that matches a current experience of this client, of this company that, I, this, that you're going to be joining? And um, if, if they can um, make that leap if they can say you're telling me about a uh, difficulty in this type of risk and, and let me tell you about how we took this type of risk uh, 30 years ago you did this with me I remember uh, because you would tell stories from Borland uh, you know a company whose uh, <laughs> existence I think is um, long in the past it's <laughs> dead and buried for a long time but uh, and, and a totally different type of software development right you were printing CDs but, but you were able to tell me when you joined Tim Group stories that came from that environment that were highly relevant to us and, and that would help us immediately. So uh, I, I didn't have to interview you because I already knew you. <laughs> but had I been, I would have <laughs> asked you for those. And, and being able to pull out that story off, off the cuff without preparation is an extremely valuable skill and the sort of thing you can practice. Yeah. And I think part of it here is uh, it, what, just what you said, which is on the one hand, it's off the cuff in the sense that I've never not planned for that particular scenario. But on the other hand, it is well prepared. And maybe there's something similar here to the way, you know, an, an improv troupe might work, where on the one hand, you know, there's the, what's happening is completely improvised in the moment. But on the other hand, it's built on <laughs> a lot of work done uh, prior to the moment What you when you see people on stage. I know you have experience in, in improv troops we talked about before. Do, do I have that right? You know, that what you that the uh, what you see on stage is uh, uh, built in part by the preparation done previously. I think so. I, my improv experience is pretty limited, but um, that, as I understand it, that's how it works, and it's certainly how it works for effective executives, whether technical or not, that they can, and, and uh, it's often outside their field of expertise. So you'll have a, uh, I remember a um, very skilled CTO that I helped hire into a, uh, a company, and he noticed a pattern of behavior in the customer service team that was really troubling. And he was able to go to the CEO and say, you know, I noticed that uh, there's turnover and there's an awful lot of bugs coming that, that um, don't need to come to us technology people. And when I go sit with them, uh, I, I hear them um, being very confused on the phone. Uh, there were those sorts of um, uh, observations which he could make and he could say, I, I've worked next to and uh, alongside and with lots of customer service organizations and the ones in trouble sounded like that. Mm. And uh, he actually wound up <laughs> taking over customer service and bringing it in line and, and making it effective, which is not something you would normally ask the CTO to do. But uh, because he was able to apply his experience, even outside his field of nominal expertise, and give it to the CEO in uh, an, a nice package uh, that came with some theory and some uh, uh, proposed actions, he was able to have a big influence on, on the whole company and its profitability. And, and 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 I really like that because the situation here you you can see how the experience they've had in the past they're able to bring it to bear, and and that's what I'm saying the the ability to do that even if he's he's never had that conversation before, he was prepared to have it probably from a lot of other similar uh, conversations where he's reflected back on his experience and brought that to bear, and and I think this gets to what I think is one more element of how someone gets to be in this role of the elder 
and and this sounds may sound a little strange, but I think a really important part here is to be part of a tribe. And there is, if you want to be a tribal elder, you need to be part of the tribe. It means you need to be in conversation with other people. You need to be referenceable. You need to be speaking with them. It's not enough just to have uh, yourself and your own experience. Is how you relate to other people, and that your knowledge is uh, is something that's a, a common uh, asset. That you're and that you're active in dialogue with people. It, this is not something that's done. Um, uh, it, it, you know, by yourself in a in a in a, 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 a well lit room or a dark room. I was going to say a dark room, but that sounded too depressing. But yeah, this is not something. This is not a solo. This is not a solo act. You, even the people who are, you know, you mentioned doing blogs. Yes, they might do a blog, but they're also putting it out in the world to then, you know, they're engaging at least with their uh, readers and and the they have other people in mind. It's not simply uh, an internal exercise. I, and I think that is a is a really important element of how people move into these more senior roles is because they're able to take what their experiences have been and, and relate them in conversation with other people. And I certainly have met other people who had really interesting technical knowledge, really interesting experiences, but they had no interest in other people that uh, at least not in, that I could see in, in those discussions. And they simply never engaged in discussions uh, uh, with the larger group they simply focused on their narrow work and they might be very good at it, but this is not someone who's ever going to develop into one of these sort of tribal elders of the type we're talking, which, you know, which can be fine. Not everyone needs to do that, but if you have Certainly an interest not. in that, <laughs> then you, 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 this is something you can start practicing very early in your career is, is how to relate with other people. And the great thing that happens when you have those relationships, when you have those interactions, is you're constantly testing your theory. So you say, well, at my company, this is happening. And here at this conference, I've heard three people say uh, that they have just the same type of problem. Maybe we should give this a name. Uh, and I think that's how we wound up with things like continuous integration, right? Is uh, our <laughs> friend PJ and you eventually and others said, hey, we've kind of seen this. You were in, if I remember right, PJ was uh, in a consulting company then? I can't He was at ThoughtWorks, that's right. Yeah. He was at ThoughtWorks, that's right. So um, there are lots of opportunities to see the same kind of pattern at many clients. And the result was a theory that, hey, maybe it would be good if instead of putting the software together by hand, we put it together with a computer. And um, that's, that's had some good effects on software development um, uh, over, the, over the years. So um, if our listeners are interested in becoming elders, it sounds like our, our summary here is um, you need a kind of mix of theory and practice. You need lots of practice, um, but you also need to be gathering it into theory, whether that's through a blog or a journal or just in your head. Um, you, you need to be um, uh, part of the tribe. Uh, you, you need to be um, per participating with others, engaging with others, and you need to be able to take those pieces of information, what you've gathered and from, from yourself and from others, and, and apply it on the spot to um, demands and questions and requests from uh, from people in the moment. That sound like a good summary? Absolutely. And the good news is that this stuff is easier than ever, especially the tribal part, given yeah. all the meetups that happen online, online conferences, it's much easier to connect now with people beyond your immediate coworkers. And I think um, this is something if people have interest, then there's there's definitely uh, lots of opportunities out there to to start working on this immediately. Which is which is why I thought, was excited about doing this as a as a podcast because this is sort of something that people could put into action right away. 
which is what we love to give to our listeners. So if listeners are uh, interested in doing more with this, if you have questions about how to do this, if you're thinking, gosh, I, I don't want elders, um, I, I want uh, new ideas and, and learning from the past isn't interesting, uh, we'd love to hear all of those perspectives and questions and ideas uh, because we like adding to our knowledge and um, we consider you part of our tribe. So uh, to get in touch with us, to, to do all that, uh, the best way to do it is to go to agileconversations.com and there you'll find our book and um, X. I'll try not to say the other name now. I'll try to get used to it. And of course, there's our email addresses as well. And, and we love when we get listener questions, so please send them along. And of course, the other thing to do to stay up to date with uh, with the uh, Troubleshooting Agile Tribe is to, to show up next Wednesday when we'll have another edition of Troubleshooting Agile. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Grant.